0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by MTC Kitchen, Mutual Trading Company's online store.
2: Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen is zakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I will try to demystify it in this program with my cool guest. And my guest today is Todd Bellamy, who is the owner and brewer at Dovetail Sake, which is the first sake brewery in Massachusetts. And Todd has just released his first sake in February. We'll talk about how he got into sake, challenges in making his own sake in the U.S., and much more. Hello, Todd. Welcome to Japanese.
3: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: So um, you studied uh, anthropology first and then studied uh, Japanese language at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. So how did you become interested in Japanese language and culture? Uh,
3: I grew up in a very small, small town in Maine, uh, about 2,000 people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was always, uh, and I think everyone of my age was always looking outside of the town, Mm -hmm. uh, looking far field and elsewhere. Uh, And I just spent a lot of time in books. So... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, growing up in a very small town, I didn't know any Japanese people, but uh, for some reason I was very fascinated by Japan and Japanese history, Mm. Uh, and it all just came from
2: books. Okay, interesting. And uh, so after learning Japanese, you moved to Japan, which is interesting. (laughs) Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, It wasn't quite as successful as that. Um, I was a full-time cook in a restaurant uh, to be able to pay for college, and uh, eventually, Like many people who work full-time to pay for college, I got to a point where it was really difficult to work uh, full-time in a kitchen and pay for school and have the time to Mm. do the work. Uh, So uh, very close to graduation, maybe two or three semesters away, Mm. I just stopped going to school and went to Japan. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was just so fed up uh, with not being able to just get traction that I just went to Japan.
2: Mm. Yeah. And then uh, I heard you worked at the sword maker as an <laughs> I apprentice. Did. So. I
3: did, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is certainly one of the things that sticks out on my resume the most. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I've was. i studied martial arts ever since I was a little kid, uh, and I was really interested in martial arts, and that was always in the background of no matter what I did, uh, whether it was interested in food or you know beverages. Uh, but I always studied martial arts, so I just got it in my head at some point. Uh, you know, I think the desire to just get out of my situation where I was in kind of a rut and just get out it any way I could. Um, I just thought, wow, it would be really cool to see this other side of Japan. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I went and I spent uh, a little under a year as a sword making apprentice. But
2: uh, how did you find the job? Yeah,
3: actually, um, what I did you know, there certainly was an internet back then, but it wasn't as prolific as it is now. Um, so I wrote uh, someone, God I forget his name, in California and he mailed me a catalog mm-hmm. uh, from the sort of the japan sword making society (laughs) and in the back of the book uh it was a sort of catalog of their yearly show and in the back of the book were the names and addresses of all the licensed uh kaji uh, you know sword Mm -hmm. makers in japan so I did what anybody would do. I uh, I wrote a letter in Japanese uh, with the help of some friends of mine. And um, and certainly, you know, I'd been studying Japanese. So I wrote a letter and I copied it uh, 248 times. And I mailed it to all 248 wow. swordsmiths in Japan. yeah.
2: So one of them responded. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> thank God. Uh, actually, 10 people responded. Mm. Uh, I still have the letters at home. Uh, eight were negative responses. Mm. Um, oh, sorry. Seven were negative responses. One person had actually passed away And his daughter had Um. written me back Uh, And then two guys uh, responded One guy said Well just move to Japan and get a job And an apartment and then come see me Mm -hmm. Uh, Which seemed just insurmountably uh, You know just insurmountable At that point And then uh, the uh, The Teacher that I actually ended up spending some time with uh, said, "Look, I'm I don't have a lot of money and I can't pay you, uh, and frankly, you're probably going to live in like a prefabricated toolshed. Uh, mm. But if you can get here, uh, I'll you know train you and you'll help me out, and uh, I can give you a place to sleep and rice. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's what I did. I just packed up my stuff and went.
2: Mm. And what did you learn? Uh, I learned a lot of stuff
3: I didn't expect to. Uh, it was a very small village. Uh, so there were only about 100 people in the village in northern Saitama. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is
2: an uh, ex-prefecture, Tokyo, but it it's is. very
3: yeah. suburb. It's ve- it's, it was very mountainous and rural. Uh, about 100 people in the village. A lot of people in the village had the same last name. Uh, <laughs> so everyone had nicknames, uh, and uh, which was very entertaining. Uh, but I got to see this side of Japan that I think not a lot of people get to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some people there who I'm not sure have seen a big, bald, white guy up close.
2: Right. <laughs> you know,
3: so, uh, yeah. So it was very interesting. Uh, and certainly for language development, uh, there was no English at mm, all. No right? choice. I mean, no choice. Uh, <laughs> so it was either uh, learn Japanese or just don't say anything. Mm. Uh, which actually, I, I think I learned a lot of patience out of that. Ah, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: And then how did you get into sake? Uh,
3: so before I left... Uh, you know, growing uh, growing up in New England, but also you know, just living in New England that whole time. Uh, craft beer was sort of on its first upswing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're now sort of in its second resurgence. But uh, during the early '90s, uh, there was a lot of craft beer, and so I found myself interested in beer, and I knew something about making beer at home and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't after it wasn't until I was in Japan for a while that. I started realizing that the sake that they were giving us mm-hmm. was all really, really good. Um, uh, even the first class of sake I had uh, was the night I got to Japan. And they gave it to me in a coffee cup.
2: Mm, so was a, what kind of occasion? Was said a class? Or mm-hmm. it, when the first time you had sake?
3: Yeah, so I went uh, to study sword making. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first night I was there. Oh. Uh, so I went and I met... Mm-hmm. Uh, Uh, Shiso-san, the person I would study under, uh, and uh, he poured, uh, you know, he had another student Mm. and uh, a wife and a small child, and he poured me a a cup of sake in a coffee mug.
4: Oh, wow. And
3: I thought, all right, whatever, you know, (laughs) it's just a cup. So I drank it, and up until then, at least in the United States, I'd only had sake that wasn't very good. Mm. Uh, And so I drank this sake out of this coffee cup, and I thought, wow, this is really amazing. Mm. And I thought it was some special kind of sake. But the more I lived in Japan, the more I realized that it was all that good. Mm. Uh, It's just that we didn't have access to it here. Right. Yeah. And then I started to slowly fall in love with
4: it.
2: Mm. Okay. And uh, so you, I'm sure you had had a lot of sake. So other than uh, sword making, what did you do in Japan?
3: Yeah. So uh, after I was a sword maker for a while, I, you know, I... I tried to be a sword-making apprentice very late in life. So I was in my late 20s. Mm. Uh, You have to study um, and live very poorly for about 10 years uh, to be a sword maker. And so I just started to realize that it probably wasn't going to be a realistic choice for someone who's almost 30. Mm. Um, And so uh, my teacher was very understanding, very nice guy. But... I was already in Japan, so it was much easier to get a job and move around in Japan. Mm-hmm. So I got some jobs um, teaching uh, English to children and housewives, and I also taught children science in English. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we got to do science experiments and things like that. So um, I actually liked that job more than I thought I would. Uh, I never th- saw myself as a teacher or anything like that. Mm. But it was a very easy job to get, and the pay was really, really good. So it allowed me to stay in Japan and have a, a great deal of free time.
2: Mm. So yeah. what made you to change, you know, the, not to stay in Japan and come back to the States?
3: Uh, yeah, mostly that was my wife, um, mm. who is my wife now, but was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, she was in grad school uh, in Texas, mm. and uh, we were trying to live apart. Uh, it just seemed like a good time for me to go to Japan for a while. So mm-hmm. uh, so we were doing the long-distance relationship thing, and that got kind of tiring. Mm. Uh, and I, I, I would have been really overjoyed if she wanted to move to Japan, but that's a lot to ask for somebody <laughs> uh, who doesn't speak Japanese or anything. Uh, so she certainly loves uh, to visit, mm. but... Um, but to ask somebody to live there permanently is a pretty big step. So mm. I moved back uh, after about you know just under four years in Japan.
2: Mm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that that was when you developed your interest and in, deepen your interest in sake.
3: Yeah, I actually uh, got interested in beer. Um, I met a I met a, a man I, when I after I moved uh, out of Saitama. I moved in. I moved uh, to Shizuoka for a little bit Mm. Uh, And uh, I met a man named Brian Baird Who had just started Baird Brewing Uh, It was a small brew pub operation Mm. Uh, And I sort of had Reaffirmed uh, reaffirmed my love Of sort of brewing and I talked to him a lot About brewing and got interested So when I got back from Japan uh, I started home brewing beer more Frequently Mm. Uh, But it didn't take very long before uh, I started missing Sake
2: Okay.
3: I just, I had been in the thick of it in Japan for so long that I didn't realize that when I went back to America, I would miss things like Mm.
2: sake. Because it's not available. The good sake is not available. Yeah. Back
3: then, especially, it was not available at all. Unless I came down here to New York or something like that. Mm. Yeah.
2: Okay. So, so then, um, gradually you started to, um, think of opening your own brewery, sake brewery? Yeah,
3: actually. So, um, i didn 't I knew a little bit about sake brewing i 'd seen some stuff in Japan, but i didn 't study it by any stretch of the imagination, uh, so I actually went online and uh, found the uh Jozo Kyokai, the mm-hmm. Japanese Brewers Guild, and uh, they had a fleet of books available on their website.
2: Okay.
3: Uh, so I ordered their books from their website. Mm. Uh, their you know textbooks for brewing for professional brewing. Uh, home brewing still is illegal in Japan, mm. so there aren't a lot of books on home brewing. Uh, hardly any, uh, but uh, these professional books were available. Mm. Uh, I mean so in Japanese. In Japanese, that yeah. Is. So I got the books. Um, you know, uh, my Japanese was pretty good at the time, and obviously with a and enough time you can do anything right. uh, so the books are written for 1,500 liter batches <laughs> uh, so seems is a little big for my house so I scaled everything down from 1,500 liters to 25 liters mm. uh, and just did the math scaled it down and then started making sake oh,
2: wow. at
3: home yeah hmm. was it easy uh, you know what I had been homebrewing beer for a while so I already had some equipment Uh, And it wasn't that bad, actually, on that scale. Mm -hmm. You know, you're only making it in a five-gallon bucket. Um, And I was surprised. A lot of people want to hear this horror story about brewing. (laughs) uh, But the first batch of sake that I made in my kitchen... Uh, was actually pretty good. Uh, I mean, it wasn't as good as my sake now, but it was identifiable as sake and it was drinkable.
2: Wow! Yeah. So you gained the confidence then? Yeah, yeah. Right. I gained
3: a little confidence, and then that allowed me to read more of the books and mm. and uh, start making better and better sake.
2: Right. And then you worked for um, Boston Brewery, uh, which is a producer of some Adams, for yeah. eight years. Eight so, years. Yeah. So did it help to start when you?
3: I think so. I think so. I think um, I certainly got into the company at a really interesting. Time they were experiencing this very fast growth. Uh, And I I took the job. It wasn't the position. The position exactly wasn't what I wanted to do. But I really wanted to work at a brewery. uh, Mm. And I wanted to kind of get my foot in the door. And I was told by some friends and some colleagues that worked in the brewing industry, oh, you should go and get your foot in the door, and then who knows what could happen. Mm. Uh, But I got the job at the time when the company was experiencing very, very fast growth, and they still are. Uh, And so I kind of... I got a lot of exposure to stuff, um, especially other brewers and things like that. But I wasn't allowed to just move around inside the company and do mm. whatever I wanted. And ultimately, that's you know the reason I left, is because I wanted to make something. Mm. I just didn't want to sit at a desk. Right.
2: Yeah. But in the culture of the brewing, you are Yeah, immersed in, in
3: the culture and uh, certainly the first four years that I worked at uh, the Boston Beer Company, um, I got a lot of exposure because I worked at their small brewery in Boston. So mm. I got a lot of exposure to brewing. Brewers and like working in a lab and, and meeting people. My manager uh, that I had uh, for a number of years had been working in the beer industry for 25 years, and she was very knowledgeable. So, uh, you know, I, I it certainly was a great experience and to learn a lot about launching your own brand. Uh, mm. Spending eight years at the Boston Beer Company was a pretty uh, a pretty formative experience
2: for right. me. Take yeah. a more management side. Yeah, I mean
3: everything. I mean, it was a, it was a big company that they were doing a lot of stuff, but it was a small enough company where you could still walk into the owner's office and just chat.
2: Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> um, and then uh, you had a more uh, intense experience as an internship, an intern at uh, Sahi shuzo sake brewing company in Yamaguchi Prefecture. Right. And uh, how was the experience? Oh,
3: It was great. I've actually been to Japan twice uh, to specifically work in breweries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first time was 2009. Um, I, uh, I was introduced to the owners of uh, Asai Shuzo, or Dasai mm-hmm. is their sake, uh, through George Kao. Uh, who used to work for Mutual Trading Company, now mm-hmm. works for Sun Noodle. Uh, but when George was working for Mutual Trading Company, um, he we met at some sake events. Mm-hmm. Uh, and George
2: is super knowledgeable and passionate about sake. Uh, he's
3: so knowledgeable and mm-hmm. passionate about sake and very eager to share education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I was in the beer industry, but really interested in sake and doing a lot of sake things on the weekends. Um, and so I met George, and he introduced me to the Sakurai event, who own uh, Dasai, and uh, he arranged for me to go for a week. So I went to Japan for uh, a couple of weeks, but spent the first week uh, working at Asahi Shuzo, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an amazing brewery. It's it was really it was really eye opening because the learning that I had done until then was all books, mm-hmm. uh, and these books are brewing textbooks for professionals. So there's not even any photographs in them. <laughs> so uh, so um, it was interesting to see the brewing up close, uh, especially in such a great setting. They're in this tiny village uh, that still has monkeys living. in in the forest. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I stayed really close to the brewery where the family lives right. and um, got to see Sake Brewing up close, especially at such a high level.
2: Mm. Uh,
3: it was really amazing experience. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, listeners go to, you know, like uh, Japanese restaurants in New York City, you can see Dasai brand mm. and they're very open-minded and I, I think you're not the first um, intern uh, from uh Outside Japan,
3: yeah, they've actually been pretty open with their brewery, uh, and they've had a number of foreigners go and study uh, and make, uh, you know, help make sake there to ha- have some hands-on experience, mm. uh, which is invaluable uh, if you're going to make sake mm. uh, or make anything at that point. But make, for, especially sake, you have to go there and work in a brewery and just see and kind of feel what they're doing every day. Mm. Um, it would be very hard to do it without doing that.
2: Right. Yeah. And then you opened uh, Dubtail sake in February. 2014, And what is your philosophy of sake making? Yeah,
3: in uh, February 2014, we started R&D. We started research and development. I met my business partner, Daniel Krupp, Mm -hmm. uh, and he and I uh, sort of joined forces and uh, decided we were both developing uh, breweries on our own. And then we met at a sake event that I was hosting, uh, and we were just thinking, you know, Boston's a great area, but it's certainly not big enough to support two sake breweries. So we joined forces. He's a really great, you know, he sort of takes more of an owner role. Uh, And I'm the brewer Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we kind of Joined forces And our philosophy Is really simple Uh, We're two uh, Boys from New England So we're not Japanese (laughs) If you didn't notice Uh, So we're not Japanese So we're not trying To be Japanese So our brand Is very New England Centric Mm. Uh, But our philosophy Is basically We want people To drink it Because it's delicious And not because It's sake Mm. Uh, You know Certainly people Will come to us Because they love sake Or they're Japanophiles But we want people to just drink it because it's a delicious handmade beverage. Mm.
4: Uh,
3: And so we look to traditional Japanese brewing, but we're not limited by that. Mm. So if there's something that we can do and it makes the sake taste better, we're going to do it. Whether it's traditional to do it that way or not, uh, we try to keep a pretty open mind. Mm. And just really, quality is the most important aspect. Uh, Without a quality sake, it doesn't matter how good your brand is or your label is or how cool your T-shirts are Mm. or
4: whatever. Right.
3: So,
2: But fundamentally, you really followed the traditional... Yeah, yeah,
3: absolutely. I don't think you'll see a lot of stuff from us that's not at least grounded in tradition. You know, I don't I don't plan to sort of there have been some people around the country that have tried to take a beer approach with sake. So age sake on, you know, in bourbon barrels Mm. or fruit or something like that. I just I don't really see us doing that Mm. Um, there. You know, Americans don't really understand that much about sake. So the incredible depth of knowledge and styles and all the variation is new to everybody. Right. that we encounter right most people that we encounter all of this is brand new so i could plumb the depths of japanese sake brewing for decades and it's all new to everybody
4: mm.
3: yeah so right. why you know do something that may or may not work
2: mm. yeah okay so it's fun for you probably mm. you can just try out different things
3: yeah without a doubt yeah. right
2: okay so uh, let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about uh Todd's first sake that was just released to the market So please stay with us.
1: Mutual Trading Kitchen is run by New York Mutual Trading, a premier specialist for wholesale Japanese food and restaurant supplies since 1926. They're a one-stop shop for all your Japanese culinary needs. They have a range of quality Japanese knives, sharpening stones, kitchenware, tableware, and shelf-stable food and are conveniently located in Midtown Manhattan near Grand Central Station. Although they specialize in wholesale distribution, this venue is open to the public and they showcase artisan tableware that is only available in the showroom. Check out their website at mtckitchen.com.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from the studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Todd Bellamy, who is the owner and brewer at uh, Double Tail Sake, which is the first sake brewery built in Massachusetts. Todd has just released his first sake in February. So, um, for listeners... Um, who are not familiar with sake making process, could you give us like a 30 seconds version of how to make sake? Sure,
3: because um, it's that easy. Uh, yeah, sake is alcohol made from grain. Uh, so it actually shares more in common with beer than it does a wine. I know people call sake rice wine. It's not. Mm. Uh, sake is just sake. So it, it, you basically, uh, to make any alcohol, you need sugar. Uh, Winemakers can just crush grapes and the grapes are sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, beer makers actually have a company that will malt the grain and turn it into sugar. Mm. Uh, so for sake, you uh, use two uh, methods uh, to make uh, rice all the way into sake. You'd use a fungus called koji, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very fu- common uh, fungus in the food making industry. Uh, that actually excretes enzymes that converts the rice into sugar. Mm. So you get starches being converted into sugar. And then you have yeast that ferments the sugar as, into alcohol.
2: Right. Yeah. Okay, so that's the quick version of it. That's the quick version, I'm (laughs) sorry. So the key is it's not wine and similar to uh, beer, but it's not the same. Exactly, Right. Okay, so uh, to produce high-quality sake, what kind of ingredients do you use?
3: Yeah, the coolest thing about sake is it's very simple and very natural. Uh, We use uh, water and high-quality brewing rice, uh, yeast, obviously, um, and then koji that we grow ourselves, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's it. There's no other, uh, you know, there's no chemical preservatives or anything like that. Mm. Uh, so luckily in Massachusetts, uh, we have very high-quality water from the Quabbin Reservoir, which is in the western part of Massachusetts. Mm. Uh, so we filter the water that comes out of uh, the tap at our, our brewery mm. uh, just to remove anything right. uh, and have a blank slate. Mm, but uh, yeah. I
2: think uh, the Japanese water tend to be softer than here. Some so.
3: water, yeah. Jap- Japan actually has uh, some very interesting water uh, profiles. Because of the volcanism and the mm. soil structure, is very different than from here. So, uh, some place like Niigata, which mm. is uh, very well known for soft sake, has very very soft water. Mm. And the trend in modern sake brewing certainly is to go soft and dry. Uh, but there are areas in Japan with very very hard water. Uh, but the hallmark of sake brewing water, whether it's hard or soft, is that it contains zero iron. Mm. Uh, you don't want iron in your brewing water. It discolors your sake, it gives you off flavors in your sake. Uh, so that's one of the reasons we also filter um, the sake, the water, to make it a blank slate so that especially there's no iron. Mm. And then we can always add back anything to the water that we need. Mm. If the water needs a little calcium or a little phosphate, we can just add that.
2: Wow, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Um, so what about the rice? Because uh, the rice, you know, it's not like Californian eating rice. Sake it's right, right. a sake rice, right?
3: Uh, yeah, normally uh, some small brewers in the United States are actually using eating rice, like uh, Koshihikari, uh, which is a very famous sushi rice. Mm. Uh, we had settled on a rice um, called Hitomebore. Uh, which is an eating rice, but it's also used to make sake in Japan. Mm-hmm. That means uh, loving for sight. right? Right, <laughs>
4: right. Uh,
3: and so um, it's used for both in Japan, eating and uh, making sake. So it was the closest thing we could get, uh, and we had already chose the rice and bought uh, a bag of it. Uh, and then I got a phone call. Uh, in August that uh, Yamada Nishiki Mm. uh, sort of the king of all sake making rices it's the most popular sake brewing rice in the world uh, was actually available in the United States for the first time Wow. So we halted brewing. We were very close to starting full-time brewing.
2: Mm.
4: Uh,
3: and we actually just kind of pumped the brakes a little bit mm. and then got some test, uh, test uh, Yamada Nishiki so that we could make small batches to test it out. Right. And we're so blown away with the quality difference mm. uh, that we decided just to go all Yamada Nishiki.
2: Wow. Where is it grown? It's grown in Arkansas okay. uh,
3: by a single farmer, and then it gets shipped uh, to um, a rice mill in mini- in Minnesota, mm-hmm. uh, Minnesota Rice and Milling. And then they mill it down to our specifications, uh, which is 60%. Uh, so 40% of the rice has been removed. Uh, and then they get shipped to us. Mm. Yeah.
2: So that's called the ginjo. Grade.
3: Ginjo grade, mm. yeah. We don't use the word ginjo currently on our sake, uh, but it is a junmai ginjo.
2: Mm, right. Yeah. So at least 40% is milled down. It's called the ginjo. Right. And uh, 50% is called daiginjo. Right. Right. So, and uh, I just wanted to tell our listeners that uh, sake rice is still different because it's uh, the grain is larger because you want to have a big starch. So that you can survive, um, you know, the milling. Right. Right. So really. yeah,
3: um, eating rice, uh, all your macronutrients, your starches, and your proteins and your fats are all mixed together, mm. which is what you want in an eating rice. Right? You don't want to cook the rice and then somehow not get protein or fat. Uh, But sake brewing rice has the starches concentrated at the center Mm. of the rice grain, so that allows you to mill away the outside, which is predominantly protein and fat, Mm. and get those out of the way to make a cleaner brew.
2: Right. Yeah. And also, I heard that uh, the center part called the shimpact, that's the porous, so the bacteria Mm. grows... Easily. Oh, yeah. It absorbs
3: water very easily right. and then, uh, you know, makes it, you know, once the inside is kind of uh, soft and squishy, yeah, mm. it can be attacked uh, very easily by your yeast and your koji. Mm. Yeah. Right.
2: So I, I didn't know that Yamanishki grows in Arkansas, so that's a good. Yeah, actually,
3: uh, it. it's pretty great. It's the only farmer that I know of in North America who's growing Yamananishki. Mm. So uh, I, uh, you know, we checked and I'm pretty sure that we're the only. Sake brewery in North America who is just going all Yamada Nishiki or all high grade brewing rice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think everyone else, you know, someone, other small brewers might make a single sake or or maybe two batches of sake during the year with Yamada Nishiki, like a special uh, sake. But we are just using it for everything because mm. uh, it's just such an amazing, uh, amazing rice.
2: Right. Yeah. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. Good timing too. Thanks. Yeah. Right. And so you just really say for sake and uh, um, what types of sake do you make and uh, why did you choose that types?
3: Uh yeah. So <laughs> we uh, we decided to brew two styles to launch the brand. Um, So we're brewing two styles. One is called Nakahama Junmai, Mm -hmm. uh, named after Nakahama Manjido, who's the first Japanese person to live in America. Mm. Uh, He lived in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. Uh, And so uh, we named our sake after him. It's a Junmai Ginjo, technically, uh, but Um, because sake is new to everybody we decided that we would only use one vocabulary word per style Mm -hmm. so um, I didn't want to put out a sake and have it be uh, this is technically a uh, Nama Junmai Ginjo right Mm -hmm. it's unpasteurized Junmai Ginjo Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's a lot for someone to learn off you know out of the gates and so we just called it Junmai. Junmai means pure rice. Mm -hmm. Uh,
4: No
2: um, fortified
3: right it's not fortified we don't add any alcohol or anything Mm -hmm. else and the word junmai uh really evokes what you know this sake is it's pure and clean and Mm -hmm. filtered Uh, and then we made a nigori sake which is unfiltered Mm -hmm. uh, called omori nigori Mm -hmm. uh, named after an archaeological site in japan that was discovered by a man from maine Uh, So another New Englander, (laughs) another New Englander having an effect on uh, Japan. So um, we have our nigori, which is not uh, a cloudy version of this sake. It's a completely different sake, different recipe. Uh, It has a different yeast strain, so it's very, very different.
2: Mm, So it's unfiltered, and Mm -hmm. then it's cloudy looking?
3: Yeah, cloudy looking. We... uh, it's unfiltered, it's, you know, partial... We take out some of the solids, so it's not extremely chunky, Mm. but it has a lot of white solids left in it. So you're supposed to shake the bottle a little bit Mm. uh, before you drink it, and the sake is completely white.
2: Right, and the nigori tend to be sweeter.
3: Yeah, yeah, the... this sake, the Nakahama Junmai, is a uh, sort of slightly, sort of medium dry sake. Uh, and our nigori, uh, is exactly what you'd want. It's sweet and round and mm-hmm. big and fruity, mm-hmm. kind of fun.
2: Right, you know? and the mouthfeel.
3: Yeah, yeah yeah actually um I wasn't sure if we were going to make a nigori to begin with, but Americans really love nigori sake mm. um J- Japanese people drink it, but not so much uh, you know right. it's, it's a it's a fringe style in Japan, but Americans drink a lot of unfiltered sake, mm. so I we thought wondering. it was a good fit
2: because of uh, maybe you t- you taste more lactic acid and you feel familiar or
3: yeah I'm not really sure. Sorry, I'm opening a bottle. Okay. okay. Uh, I'm not sure why uh, Americans love it so much, but, you know, it's analogous to the fact that Americans also... Attach themselves to sushi as the predominant Japanese food in America. Mm. It's sort of the most alien food. <laughs> uh, you know, there certainly are foods in Japan that are not that alien at all. I mean, grilled chicken on a stick, you mm. know, yakitori or something like that, mm. is is very approachable. But we didn't, we didn't latch on to what was approachable. We latched on to the most alien thing out there, sushi, uncooked fish on vinegared rice and everything. Uh, so uh, I think nigori sake is the same way. Right. You know, People look at uh, sake and they're like, oh, this looks like a white wine or something like that. So maybe it's a little too familiar looking. Mm. Uh, so nigori zake, they're like, oh, it's white. It's crazy looking. It looks like milk. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think those two are probably linked in some way.
2: Mm. Yeah. So now, uh, in my hand, there is a glass of beautiful Jumai, Yeah. Nakama Jamai. and this is the color slightly yellower. It's beautiful. Yeah,
3: sake is a really interesting beverage in the fact that uh, if you give somebody else uh, another kind of beverage like a beer or something like that from the color and sort of the heft of it in the glass you can kind of tell what you're getting into Mm. Uh, but with sake it's so alien where you look at it it's slightly off colored water basically Mm.
4: Uh,
3: and people look at it and they don't know what to expect (laughs)
4: Uh,
3: and then you drink it and there's this explosion of flavor and layers of flavor. Our sake in particular, Nakama Junmai, uh, has a lot of tropical fruit flavors like mango and pineapple mm-hmm. and melon. Uh, and then there's some layers of spice, uh, especially. Yeah,
2: I the sancho pepper.
3: Oh yeah yeah right. a lot of people there's like a peppery spice uh we use two yeast strains in this particular sake uh one of them uh, produces a lot of a chemical called ethyl caproate mm-hmm. uh which is kind of a fresh fennel or anise note uh which is pr- uh often found in high grade sake so we use that yeast strain specifically to give it that
2: mm-hmm. note and there's a nose is a little more like uh caramel mm-hmm. like a barnes scotch
3: yeah, sake Sorry. is very complex right. and delicious.
2: Mm. So what kind of food do you recommend with this uh, i
3: uh Everyone wants to go to sushi, uh, but for me, I really, really love uh, sake and grilled meats. Mm. Uh, so anything that I take off my grill, whether it's a grilled chicken or a hamburger or a steak or something like that, mm. uh, that's my first stop when pairing food with sake. But yeah. Um, You know, seeing that we live in Boston, we're not you know certainly in Japan. Uh, It's uh, for me. It's uh, sake is so food friendly. It goes with almost anything. Mm. Uh, This sake I've had with everything between you know pizza and tacos and a cheese plate and things like that. It just goes well with everything.
2: Mm. Yeah, I was thinking of like grilled cod fillet. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. its flakiness and the creaminess goes well with the sake. Yeah,
3: yeah, I could say. I mean, luckily, we're in Boston, so uh, we have great uh, produce and meats from the western side of the state. Mm. And then, you know, obviously, we're right on the Atlantic Ocean, so amazing seafood. This is great with raw oysters or a lobster roll in the summer.
2: Mm. Yeah. So uh, where can we get your sake?
3: Yeah, currently, uh, so we're about two weeks away from launching bottles of
2: our sake. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: currently, you, uh, it, when you're in Boston, you can only get it on draft at one place. Uh, that the, is cool. Like yeah.
2: uh, right next to Craft Beer, you have sake. Yeah, it's the
3: Cambridge <laughs> uh, Brewing Company, uh, which is uh, one Kendall Square in Cambridge. Uh, they're really good friends of ours, and they've been very supportive over the years. Uh, so they, I promised them a long time ago that they could be our first draft account. Uh, So we're actually talking with uh, several other restaurants uh, about putting sake on draft. Uh, And then once bottles come out in a couple of weeks, I think we'll obviously, you know, it'll be in stores and restaurants all over the Boston area.
2: Mm, Well, Uh, hopefully it's going to come to New York soon.
3: Yeah, yeah, soon. Uh, We'll see. Probably in a year or two. Um, We're going to focus on our local market, Mm -hmm. you know, because we're a very small brewery. Right now it's only two people.
1: Oh, yeah. So... (laughs)
3: um, and so uh, we're just going to focus on our local market and mm. see Boston and Cambridge and Somerville. Um, Massachusetts, uh, you know, has such a great food scene mm. uh, that um, it's really a great pairing. You know, we have a lot of people asking us, uh, to, you know, wanting to buy our sake that are not necessarily Japanese restaurants. You know, mm. they're... Uh, Barbecue places and really farm to table oriented restaurants and things like that.
2: Right. I mean, it's not um, uncommon to find sake in French restaurants. Or New mm. American restaurant. So that really makes right. sense. Yeah. Right. And um, what are the biggest challenges making sake on your own in Boston? Like, it can be, like, points I was thinking, you know, you have to have a license, which is the right. same as a winery license. Uh, actually, we're a brewery
3: mm. uh, because we make alcohol from grain. Okay. Uh, we're not a winery at all. So we have a brewing permit from the federal government and the state. Uh, all of that stuff was actually not the hardest part. Uh, obviously, the hardest part is uh, not second guessing yourself. So mm. I have <laughs> a lot of book knowledge and I have some uh, brewing experience from going to Japan and things like that. But when you're when you're actually the brewer and you're mm. actually calling all the shots, uh, the hardest part is just not second guessing yourself. You know, to go with your heart and say this is what we're doing and this is the way to go. Mm. Uh, especially when you get all that rice in the tank. Uh, You know, it's 650 pounds of rice, Mm -hmm. give or take. (laughs) In a tank, that's an awful lot of rice Mm. uh, to just say, okay, we're just going to do this and it's going to work out fine. Right. Yeah, so far so good.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, if you didn't do it, you would really (laughs) (laughs) regret. Yeah, yeah, I was getting kind of old.
3: And um, that was, you know, one of the things that I thought is, I have to leave my desk job, uh, the safety of my desk job. And uh, open a sake brewery because that's really what I want to do. And if I don't do it now, it's just going to get harder and harder to do it as Mm. I get
2: older. And you'd be stutter and stutter. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would
3: always wonder would that have worked out? Would it have not worked out? Yeah, Mm.
2: so far it's working out. Right. Well, great. And uh, so, what's most rewarding in making sake on your own? Um, (laughs) You know, when you
3: make sake, uh, there's two things that that really uh, kind of get me out of bed in the morning, besides my wife kicking me, um, <laughs> is that uh, the first thing is it's really great to take – All of these disparate parts, you know, you've got rice and clean water and koji that I've grown myself and yeast and all this. And then you put it into a tank and you get the conditions just right. Mm. And the yeast is the one that actually does all the work. Mm. Uh, I'm just like a yeast rancher. I I don't really make sake. The yeast makes the sake. So I just create this perfect environment for the yeast and the koji to thrive. And lo and behold, out the other side comes this really beautiful beverage. Mm. Uh, The other thing that I'm starting to really, really enjoy is, uh, you know, unlike beer, all of my consumers are very new to sake. So it's really such a great pleasure to give somebody a glass of sake. They have no clue what it is. Mm. They don't know what it's going to taste like or what it's going to smell like or the experience. And then they drink it and they're... Mostly they are blown away uh, Mm -hmm. by how complex it is and delicate. Uh, And it's really great to see that over and over. It's like just getting, you know, could you imagine... Selling beer and giving everyone their first beer. That's what it's like. It's (laughs) really cool.
2: Because, you know, education to me, I mean, it sounds like you really like educating people about something. I do,
3: yeah. I I do. It's a great beverage. It's so friendly. Uh, It's so food friendly. Uh, It has way less acid than something like a wine.
4: Mm. Uh,
3: And it has a very different... uh, sweet of acids, you know, it doesn't have these harsh acids like citric acid and and malic acid like wines do it has lactic acid and these really soft acids uh, Mm. that are really delicious with a variety of foods.
2: Right. Okay and is it easier to, you know, maybe you can bring your own sake and then look, you you have to try this Yeah, yeah. You can educate people more It's
3: nice, it's been really nice being able to go somewhere and just grab a bottle of my sake Mm. out of the fridge
2: Right. Yeah. And uh, I th- I think there are about 10 non-Japanese sake breweries in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So how do you predict the future of sake making in this country?
3: You know, I hope... Um that all the sake breweries, they seem to so far, everyone is really sticking to a mindset of it's got to be high quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what's going to happen is uh, it's going to allow consumers to get access to the actual makers of the bre- beverage. Mm-hmm. I love Japanese breweries and uh, they're some of our best friends. Uh, certainly some of our most supportive friends of our breweries are other Japanese breweries like Kikusui Brewing and Niigata. Uh, I went there to study as well and they've been very Supportive, um, but you know, even a big company like Kiktsui, uh that you know, they only have a handful of people outside mm. of Japan selling sake. So what it's going to do for the whole category, I think, is it's going to allow consumers to have access to the people who are making it and get a lot more education and a lot more experience with what sake is. Mm, and
2: people will up, people going to see how it's made. Exactly.
3: Yeah. I mean, we have a very small brewery now, uh, but. Uh, our next space will have space for a tasting room and and things like that so people will be able to come and see us make it. Mm. Right now it's a very very small space and I'm a big guy so there's no space for anybody else to really (laughs) be in there but uh, our next space will definitely have uh, you know tour space and and tasting room and things Mm. like that. People can come buy sake from us uh, and taste it on premises and see how it's made Uh, but those experiences are going to be invaluable to growing the whole category Mm. so for me yeah I want to our company and I want people to uh, drink fresher and fresher sake. Mm. You know, that's the other big thing, is that our sake is going six miles, not 6,000 miles. Right. Uh, no matter how good of a brewer you are in Japan, you know, your sake still got to go 6,000 miles right. uh, and sit in a warehouse somewhere. So right. um, this uh, bottle that we're enjoying today I filled yesterday. Oh, wow. You know, so, <laughs> <Fresh>. <laughs> you, yeah, you can't really beat that. Uh, right. So I'm not, you know, are we as good as a sake brewery that's a 1,000 years old in Japan? Probably not yet. Uh, but all also I can just do things like fill a bottle and drink mm. it the next day. Right. So really amazing yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. So I look for more breweries coming up in this country?
3: Yeah, I hope so. Um, There are uh, several. There's some in Seattle, San Francisco. There's one in Maine, Toronto. Um, There's one in uh, British Columbia. There's two in British Columbia. So Mm -hmm. they're cropping up. There's one in Texas. Uh, Minneapolis, obviously, is the home of the only sake brew pub uh, in the country. Uh, So they're cropping up, and and they're being successful, uh, mostly. So it's exciting to see. Great. Yeah.
2: Okay. And uh, I heard you have a, worked on a very interesting project with the uh, Cambridge Brewing Company that you mentioned earlier and which is to make a hybrid of beer and sake. So.
3: Yeah, we've made uh, several batches in the past. Uh, now that uh, you know, I have our own brand, Dovetail Sake. It, it's a little more complex uh, to how we're going to make the hybrid uh, mm-hmm. between the two breweries. Uh, so we're trying to figure out the right and legal way to do it. Uh, but basically, I met Will Myers, the head brewer at Cambridge Brewing Company, years ago, uh, and while I was in the beer industry, and uh, we became really good friends. Um, And he didn't know anything about sake. So we started talking about sake and drinking sake together. And we started talking about how it's made. And Will is a very sort of loving, sort of organic brewer. And he loves, uh, you know, he doesn't like to do things like flavor beers. He likes everything to be part of the organic process. So Mm. uh, I think some people would have taken, like, beer and sake and blended them together. Mm -hmm. But for Will, he was like, how do we take... The two processes and meld them and make a hybrid product. So we experimented, and then one day uh, we were done experimenting, and he said, let's just make a batch a whole batch of it so <laughs> we uh made a 500 liter batch of sake at the cambridge brewing company by hand mm. uh, and then blended that with beer wort and allowed the sake to ferment everything so we didn't actually use beer yeast we used a whole tank of sake to inoculate a tank of beer wort oh,
4: wow. uh,
3: and i've talked to a lot of brewers in japan In the United States, whether they're beer brewers or sake brewers. And as far as I can tell, no one's really done it besides (laughs)
2: us.
3: (laughs) Yeah. It's a really really unique product and we've made about five batches or so over the years um, It's an arduous task to make it mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in, in a small group of but, right. but uh, how
2: does it taste like it's the bubbly and also tastes you know
3: different. what we served it with very little carbonation uh, we tried it with carbonation and didn't particularly like it so mm-hmm. uh, it was really interesting you get a lot of sort of grape fresh grape flavors because of the type of sugar that's in barley mm-hmm. that the sake yeast ends up fermenting uh, but it definitely a uh, very high alcohol Uh, kind of like a cross between a sake and a barley wine (laughs) like a really high alcohol beer and had a lot, a lot of fruity flavors because of the sake yeast. We actually also made a secondary version where we aged it on sugi wood. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we ended up calling the beer sake hybrid bandyu ichi. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's an old saying, sake zukuri bandyu, which means there's 10,000 ways to make sake. Mm -hmm. So we called ours bandyu ichi, which means (laughs) 10,001 ways. Uh, And then we aged some on sugi wood, which is a Japanese wood, uh, very aromatic, used to age sake. Mm -hmm. Um, We called it nomisugi. (laughs)
2: Like. <laughs> which is a play on words
3: uh, it means to drink too much right. but we used uh, the character for Sugi which is the one
2: mm. yeah. wow never ending opportunities yeah, yeah
3: yeah it's pretty cool so hopefully we'll do it again I know Will uh, and I are chomping at the bit to do it again mm. uh, and who knows I'd like to find out I'd like to figure out a way to make it and bottle it we've mm-hmm. never bottled it we've only served it on draft at the pub so I'd really like to find a way of putting it in a bottle so we could get it a little further afield
2: well I hope so I'm very yeah, it's curious about it such a unique it.
3: product yeah <laughs>
2: Yeah. Okay so um thank you for joining us today Todd and uh, best of luck and I hope you'll come back to the show
3: Thanks I'll come back anytime and thanks for having me <laughs> okay. Cheers
2: So uh, listeners if you have been in, um, you're interested in Todd's sake please visit uh, com, and uh, you also have uh, the boston sake.com
3: Yeah it's a blog that I've run for a number of years uh we're going to actually start porting some of that stuff over to our website, dovetailsake.com, but there's an awful, it's about sixty six years, there's an awful lot of content on uh, bostonsake.com uh, that people can go and
4: check out. It's
2: great. So, okay, bostonsake.com. And if we have any questions or comments about the show, please contact us at org. And by the way, we just launched a beautiful new website, so please visit our page. Japan is live at... 3 p.m. Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, uh, iTunes and Stitcher Podcasts. Today's show was made possible by uh, MTC Kitchen and our engineer is uh, David Tatasiole. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.